Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. My guest today is a former agent for the Creative Artist Agency and is now in partnership with Gary Vaynerchuk at Vayner Speakers, where they represent innovative speakers who have built impactful brands and have a powerful message to share with the audience. He's also an NYU alumni, and pretty soon people are going to wonder if I know anyone outside of the NYU sphere based on who's on my podcast. Welcome, Zach Nadler, to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. And this is really fun for me because a lot of my guests I have met before and I have never met you before until a little bit ago when we first uh, signed on and did the, what do we call this? The pre-podcast chatter. Sometimes <laughs> I think I should record that part too, because there are some fun stuff that happens. <laughs> the blooper in reel. The blooper reel. Exactly. So I always like to start uh, asking my guests, where are you from? Uh, I'm from a small town in Western Massachusetts called Longmeadow, Mass. Um, it's a very small suburban town with not much going on. Long, I, I have no idea where that is. It's uh, it's about half an hour south of uh, like the Amherst schools, UMass, Amherst, Hampshire, and about 20 minutes north of Hartford. It's the first town into Massachusetts. Wow. Okay. Small town guy in the big town, big city, <laughs> big city guy now, right? Um, so obviously the qu- next question is, how did you get from there to where you are now? <laughs> well, I came to uh, to NYU, as you mentioned. Uh, I came to NYU for undergraduate, uh, my undergraduate studies at, uh, at NYU in, in sports management. So I came to you know New York because I thought it's the, the big city. It's where everything happens. There was eight, nine major league sports teams. Uh, every league has an office here. Um, if you want to work in sports, this is the easiest place to do it, or so I thought. Um, obviously, I'm not working in sports now, so I'll let you read between the lines. Um, but I came here, you know, specifically to, to study sports and to to kind of see what the city was. And of course, I said I'd leave as soon as uh, as soon as I graduated. I graduated early. Or is this almost 20 years later? I haven't left. So, uh, <laughs> what, what does that say too? I, I, it happens. I, I've always said that people either love New York or they hate New York, and that's okay because there's enough of us who love it <laughs> um, that has stayed. It has stayed crowded enough. Um, so, before we get into the business of of what you're doing right now at Vayner Speakers, because mm-hmm. it's kind of fascinating how Gary just keeps on splitting all of his different <laughs> aspects of his empire out there. How did you wind up getting into the agent business? So it's uh, my background is kind of it's kind of crazy. So you know, I give NYU a lot of credit because one of the benefits of being in the city was most of our uh, adjunct professors, uh, you know, worked in the field. And so we were kind of exposed to a lot of different parts of the industry. Um, And over time, I, you know, saw more and I kind of realized there were certain things that I wasn't going to be doing. Um, And so I started to explore different parts of the business. I wound up working for a, uh, um, an individual who who was doing a number of different things at his, his marketing company, one of which was a celebrity golf tour. Now, I don't golf. I didn't golf for a little while there. I tried golfing, but it's not really what I was kind of you know into. And I pursued this opportunity, but it was a small company. I got to do a lot of different things with this large celebrity golf tour. So we did you know fourteen events a year, sixty celebrities raising millions of dollars for charity. You know, fourteen weekends a year, and so it was a great opportunity. But that was kind of how I got started with all this, and I realized you know. 
I'm probably not going to go work for a team. I'm probably not going to be, you know, an agent to a football player, but I kind of like working with talent. And there's a whole other side of this business on the marketing side. So after pursuing that, um, you know, I started working with Olympians and, and a lot of what they do is speaking engagements, right? If they're going to make money and be able to continue training for whatever sport they're in, they have to support themselves because the USOC certainly doesn't. And so I started doing a lot of speaking engagements for my clients. And over time, I just developed kind of a knack for it, uh, relationships with both customers as well as other agents in the space. Uh, and eventually I was recruited into CAA in 2009. Uh, and that's when I became a full-time speaker's agent. So it's not a it's not a career anyone at nine years old is saying, I want to be a speaker's agent. Um, but we all fall into it one way or another. I, that's, you know, it's it's fascinating. The more people I speak to and, and the older I get, the more I see where it's, there's so few of us who knew at nine years old what we were going to do. And um, and our careers take all these circuitous paths that, that, that work, that work. And, and I'm right. a big believer that whatever experience you have, you can bring to wherever you are right now. Absolutely. So now, now you are in, um, what are we in here now? Now you're in partnership with Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. and his empire as I like to call it. <laughs> he's, it's kind of amazing what he's built. And um, I have my own little Gary Vaynerchuk story when he was at the wine library before he became a household word and was looking to build that. And I was the running sales at New York One News then. And we had these alternative cable channels. We were trying to figure out a way to monetize it. And we were trying to get him to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said no to that proposal. But he I, around that time is when he went on YouTube. So it clearly was a very wise decision for him. <laughs> Um, he seems to have a nose for making the right business decisions. And now he is with you and you're partnering in Vayner Speakers. So can you can you tell us a little bit about how that even came to be for that matter? Yeah, well, it's funny. You know, you say Gary made a lot of great decisions and I agree. Uh, it's also funny because he's made you know, plenty of mistakes and he's like the first. He reminds people of his mistakes more than they remind him. Um, but he often says, like, when I make a mistake, I get out fast. I realize it's wrong and I, I go the other way. So the fact that we've been in business for two and a half years, it gives me some pride that obviously we haven't made a mistake. Otherwise, he would have pulled the plug. Um, but we were working together at CAA. Um, he was actually a client of CAA's before I got there. And we started working together more and more over time. And it was really an organic relationship. He was in New York. I was the only speaker's agent in New York when I started. Um, and we were doing more and more events together. We were traveling together. You know, I got to know him more and more as he was writing new books and building, you know, what you've heard called the empire. He calls the honey empire. Um, and <laughs> as he was building it, you know, we got closer and I started understanding him more. Um, and we were very much aligned from like a customer service standpoint, from a sales perspective in terms of not really selling, but branding, right? Being who we are, um, selling an idea, not selling a service or something along those lines, really helping people with what they needed. And it was something over time where, you know, the more we spent time together, it was something where we said, you know, there's an opportunity to disrupt a long standing business, right? The speaker's world, you know, it's about 50 years old. Somebody told me recently, you know, pre pandemic, it was about a $4 billion industry, which is is crazy when you think about, um, Mm -hmm. but every company does an event, you know, all of these conferences that are taking place in New York city and San Diego and Phoenix and San Francisco, all over the place. Um, and over the last 10 years, the international markets matured as well. Um, it was really an opportunity where we said we could do something different. We could innovate. And Gary's disrupted countless businesses. Uh, so why not one that he's already you know, extremely knowledgeable in, right? He's one of the foremost speakers in the world. If I'm not tapping into his brain to figure out how we can build a business around it, you know, what are we doing? 
So, you know, we started about two and a half years ago. And despite a, a you know, a global pandemic that has crippled the events industry, we're doing pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, well, I might as well jump to that right now. How has <laughs> how has it affected your industry? I'm, so I, it's kind of obvious, but um, I'd like to hear it. out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Gary and I actually did a, a virtual event back in 2012. Uh, I looked it up a few months ago because I was so curious to remember when when it was. We did an event where he did a wine tasting. Um, he came to the office uh, that I was working out of because who had virtual conference you know capabilities from their office, let alone home. So he comes to our office at five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. We're streaming to it was, I want to say Hungary or Budapest. Or, I think it was Hungary, uh, and and uh, he you know it was five o'clock in the morning. It was a wine tasting, right? This was in 2012. Now we theoretically could have used Skype. But who was doing that? Nobody so when the pandemic hit, we've been doing virtual events now for eight years. Now, the benefit we had was Gary's office is also a studio where he films his podcasts. So when we did virtual events, you know, in 2017, 18, 19, we could just pop into his office. The camera's ready. Everything's good to go. Now, all of a sudden, we have to kind of shift gears. Um, but we were really ready to adapt quickly. Um, I think it took a while for the industry to adapt and a lot of the customers and companies that put on events to figure out what were they going to do, right? They were really, it was, uh, it was uneven footing for them. They had to figure out how are they going to do what they normally do um, mm-hmm. in this virtual world? How are they going to get people to come? How are they going to get people to show up? Um, how are they going to get their employees to stay involved? And it was a really difficult thing. So there was about two months where the whole industry, you know, there were rumors that everyone was shutting their doors and no one was going to survive. But probably by June of last year, it was pretty clear, this virtual thing works, right? We can do this. Mm-hmm. And it really was more of an adaptation of how are we going to move forward. And the, the crazy things are, you know, there are certain norms in our business, you know, times where it's really busy, times where it's quiet, and the pandemic is just throwing everything off, right? There's no time where, you know, December and August is usually a really quiet time. Last year was very, very busy. And I can't ex- necessarily explain why, um, but I think people are starting to kind of be able to forecast a little further out what's going on. Um, and I can tell you there's extreme optimism. Uh, everyone is very excited because we haven't spent much time together, right? The global community and the events industry brings us all together. No one took took this. I keep saying it. There's a billion dollars in figuring out a meet and greet uh, virtually. No one's been able to figure it out. So we're all going to come back together so that we can have drinks at a bar or breakfast the next morning after a conference and get together in between sessions. And so as soon as we can, we're all going to come back together. And it seems like by the fall, we'll be in a much better place. Um, and you know, for the most part, you know, people have kind of figured it out over the last year and having a whole year has allowed people to adapt and figure out what benefits them, where these opportunities are for them. And I think it's going to be something where the lasting impact is we're going to see it for years to come. There's going to be virtual events that take place regardless of whether or not there's a pandemic. There are going to be in-person events that normally people internationally or even domestically couldn't have gone to, whether it's because of cost or otherwise. And now they can. Now they're going to be able to figure out how to get there in a hybrid model. So it's exciting. Um, it was frightening for a while, but we've kind of come through that. And, and now it's a place where everyone's comfortable with it. All my clients are, are like IT guys, right? They, they can jump in and they know how to troubleshoot all of these tech issues because they've done it you know, 50 to 100 times by now. So it's, it's come a long way. Um, and I think it honestly just accelerated what was probably going to happen anyways in the next five to 10 years. It just kind of forced us into it. No, I'm a big believer on all counts. Doesn't matter what the industry is. I'm a big believer that whatever was going to happen in ten years, we we have definitely fast fast forwarded on it. So, mm-hmm. and I do want to ask you um, 
about what qualities make up a good speaker, but mm-hmm. since we're talking in this virtual environment, what's different about it from your perspective? Um, well, I think, you know, what's one thing I keep talking from about speaker, with clients, from, as a speaker, I'm yeah. sorry. You know, I, I understand. I think it's, it's fascinating because everyone has, uh, different comfort levels. Like right now I'm sitting, talking to you. If I was in the office, I'd be standing pacing. It's just like who I am as an individual. I have some clients who really feed off the crowd. Other clients who are more of like a, um, almost like a one act play. So they can do it almost regardless of the audience. So it's everyone getting their comfort level because it's not, it's not the same. It is different. And I think it took a while for people to get used to it and everyone gets used to something differently. So, you know, Gary's a great example. You're used to seeing him holding up a camera and taking a selfie video, you know, on his Instagram. So he can get away with being in a laptop and having wired headphones. But a lot of other people, they need to have a green screen behind them, a high res camera. They need to look straight at the camera and talk to you. And people who use slides, how am I going to click through slides? You're still going to see me or are you not? And so Mm -hmm. it really took a while for people to get used to it. And there was no formula for this. So different people came up with different technologies really quick. All sorts of new platforms showed up. Some people are using monitors where they have like five screens in front of them with 50 different people all over so they can see an audience. You know, I've seen it all and there's no perfect system. So it really became a very individualized situation as opposed to the normal world where, okay, you're going on stage. Here's your microphone. You know, everyone else uses the exact same system you're using. So you can't complain. Now it's, I need this so that I'm comfortable. And that was a real adaptation for the customer. And then it became an adaptation for individual speakers because they then sometimes had to say, well, if I don't have exactly what I need, I can't be good. Then what are you doing? Because if, if you're going to make them cater to you, it doesn't always work that way. So it's been an interesting uh, it's been an interesting year, but I do think that the the positive outcomes have been this you know this kind of shift towards um, malleability, this mm-hmm. shift towards you know different different formats, different ideas. People have been able to play with things. If this was a month, right, people would have just sat it out. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, it was a year, right, and so a year plus at this point. So I think people are, um, you know, slowly figuring out what's going to work for them and they'll lean in on that stuff moving forward. Yeah, no, I I agree with you hundred percent. I think everyone got, I I was pretty tech savvy to start out with, although we did have a little bit of an issue here before we started that nobody knows about. Um, We we managed through it, but even that we're all more forgiving about it because it happens, you know, it, it, it happens, but I think that um, everybody has gotten more comfortable with it. I know for myself, I miss teaching in a physical classroom and I'm better because I do like to move around. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I can't do that in my apartment. It just doesn't work. I've tried it. I have to be sitting when I'm in my apartment, but there are aspects of it that I also like, you know, I, 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 and that I'm like, this is kind of nice. You know, and if I'm done teaching my, my commute time is from, you know, my, my desk to, to the couch Um, and getting better at it. But I do think there's also, it, be, it becomes more challenging as someone who's trying to engage an audience to what do I do that's going to be a little bit different because you mm-hmm. can't you can't just rely on exactly what it is. I find myself constantly, and I'm a pretty big enunciator to start out with, but I'm constantly over-enunciating. I say I'm going into my radio voice. You know, I got to pretend that I'm a disc jockey someplace and and really using that that hyper-enunciation and, and, and focusing on it to make sure that people, because it's easy to lose someone's attention in this, in this situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that, that it's a great point. And the barrier for entry is just so low. Right. Mm-hmm. If you want to speak at South by Southwest, you have to submit an application with a video and a, and a paragraph explaining your, your speech. You have to prepare. You're hoping to get a stage. If you want to do a virtual event nowadays, it's like 
$9.99, but the first month is free, you know, download this app and you're good to go. <laughs> so the whole world is now up online. And it's both a good thing, right? I think it creates an opportunity for a lot of people who probably wouldn't be known. Um, it's also something where, you know, you could be doing this from Manhattan or you could be doing this from Nairobi, right? There's literally nothing stopping you. But on the flip side, it creates a lot more clutter and a lot more noise. So there are a lot of established speakers bureaus out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're obviously you already talked about Gary likes to disrupt things. What differentiates Vayner Speaker Bureau. So we, you know, it's something where the sad reality of our industry is it doesn't take much to disrupt what we're doing. Um, You know, the business has been built, you know, for 50 years with kind of the same premise. Here's my fee. Here's what I do. Yes or no. We look at this and say, no two speakers are the same, right? They're not going to be talking about the same thing. They may use different formats. They have different, different lengths. They want to speak, maybe different, you know, everything about them is going to be different events are completely different. And now in this virtual world, it's a whole new ball game. I keep saying virtual is like animation. There's no rules of, of like the laws of physics. So events are, are more different than they've ever been. And we just try not to treat them all the same. We try to look at these events and say, great, what do you really want to do? What are you trying to put together? What's your, your preferred format? What kind of speakers are you looking for? Um, what else is going on at your event? What's the competition in the building? You know, try to understand what's happening. And marry these ideas rather than just, you know, be pizza order takers, which I'm going to steal from an old colleague of mine, right? We're not just sitting here saying, great, you want to speaker? Here's the price. Go book them. We want to be there to help educate. We want people to understand what speakers are talking about. We also want to be able to help speakers make a decision on what event to do. Does this make sense for you? What's the upside? What's the downside? Who's the audience, right? And we also look at it. There are some competitors of ours who um, literally will not bring any offer to their clients that are below their asking price. Now, that's fine. I just think that's, you know, a little crazy. You know, $100 (laughs) below, you're not going to bring it. And also, what if it's an amazing audience? What if Mm -hmm. your client uh, is is trying to pursue opportunities in a particular field and this fits right there? If you're not even going to bring it to them, it's never your decision to make. I don't don't decide where my clients speak. My clients do. So we look at this and say, we're going to be malleable. We're going to be, you know, forward thinking. We're going to be flexible for our customers, for our clients. And it's served us well because people appreciate the kind of customer service they get. We're not here just to say, you know, X amount of dollars gets you Y amount of time. We really are trying to figure out what works. And it's not always going to be, you know, a square peg in a square hole. We have to figure out how to get creative sometimes. Um, But it's our job to do that. It's our job to put these ideas together, put these speakers and these events together. So it's not in your typical speakers bureau, I would imagine it's more, I'm just going to book you. This is what I'm hearing, right? And you're using all of your brilliant marketing skills and those of <laughs> Mr. Vaynerchuk to really help to build the speaker's brand as well. And and yeah. what direction they want to go, they want to go in terms of their audience. And Yeah, I mean, we have worked, we're testing certain theories in terms of marketing, right? We're doing things that no one really has done. Um, it's a bit of a land grab out there. You know, in the 90s, SEO was king. And, and there were a few speakers, bearers that literally will just be there because they were first, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at it as a whole new ball game. You know, the world is, is changing. Where people are learning about speakers is changing. And the world of speakers has vastly changed over the last 10 years. Technology has made it possible for so many more people to be out there. Um, you could make it seem like you're a better speaker than you are. Um, anyone can create a speaker's reel versus, you know, you talk about your time at New York one, you know, things like that. You, I remember when people in my office were getting boxes of VHS tapes to go through, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like this was a thing. Now I can, you want to be a, a client, send me a YouTube clip. If you don't have a YouTube clip, there are hundreds of thousands of speakers with YouTube clips. you got to have something, right? So I think it's an opportunity now, but it's also like we were talking about before, there's a lot of clutter. There's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of noise out there from other speakers. So it, it does help to, to kind of cut through that and find ways to do so. Uh, marketing themselves, mark, you know, we market our clients as well because we want them to be seen by everyone. Um, but then also it's a lot of education. It's a lot of helping. You know, one of my customers always says I give free consulting. I prefer not to give free consulting, but at the same time, I want to make sure their event goes well. I want to make sure my client is happy. You know, that's, that's when everyone comes out of it and saying, great, let's do it again versus this was a disaster. So if I can impart my knowledge just from doing, you know, if we have some customers who are great customers who only do one event a year, we're doing hundreds of events a year. Why wouldn't we impart this knowledge in other groups versus some of our competitors who sadly are only looking out for how do we scale this? The more times I'm on the phone with you, the more emails, the less business. We look at that as that's a deeper relationship. So we really want to you know, be working with our customers to improve their world because if their event is a success, they'll go from having a one-day event to a three-day event. They'll go from booking one speaker to five speakers to 10 speakers. And we want to be having repeat business. And, and thankfully, we do. We have a lot of customers who come back to us just because they like us. And that to me is fine by me. And so we, we look at that and say, you know, this is, this is an entire business that's built on relationships. Um, mm-hmm. Let's help build those relationships and foster them. Um, and then frankly, we also are just working harder. You know, a lot of this world has been uh, changed from automation. A lot of our competitors say, great, we're going to use Salesforce. We're going to do this. You're going to get an automated email from me. Um, you know, I want to pitch you clients. You're going to get this printout list. That's not really what it's about. People, if they're spending tens of thousands of dollars, I had someone in my industry, my old boss used to say, to think of them buying a car. Somebody's spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars. That's what people spend on cars. If they're gonna spend that money on a car, you're gonna make the same decision and take the time to think it through. So we wanna make sure that people feel comfortable with their decisions. And sometimes it does take time. So we try not rushing people into these decisions and they deserve the ability to kind of make a thoughtful decision with the information they need to make it. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't always go our way, but we find that in the long run, it's going to work out for us a lot better than otherwise. I love, love, love what I'm hearing about <laughs> bringing a little bit of the old school relationship building into the technology. Cause I think that there is a certain mindset out there. Maybe it's just the people that tried to approach me to sell me something <laughs> that are, you know, pulling out the list from Salesforce and not even bothering to see who's on the list and not really attempting to build a relationship. Cause that's really what, and that's what makes it fun too. It's not even just about growing your business. It's, it's really, to me, it's always been about the part of business that, that is fun. So it's absolutely, kind of I, I've got a customer at my wedding. Like that doesn't yeah. always happen these days. You know, I think it's something where if you can, if you can work with someone, the more you know them, the better you're going to be able to help them. And everyone is, again, I go back to this. I say it all the time and like, it's a cliche, but everyone is different. Your event is different. Like you really have to kind of think of them differently. Um, and it's also, honestly, it just takes work and time and effort. You know, it's not easy to know every speaker under the sun, right? And we don't, there are plenty of speakers I've never worked with. But I try to at least know the ones I'm working with, because if I can't answer the questions, what am I doing selling them to someone? <laughs> this is exactly true. Exactly <laughs> true. Um, and you, ha- you have a really impressive list for an agency that has been, not for a bureau, speakers bureau agency, I guess that's what we're calling it. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been around that long. Dr. Mark Hyman, James Altucher, Ryan Holiday. I mean, 
that did that's happening because of your relationship building? Is that a good guess? Well, a good you, you name the three most prolific authors. We don't represent just authors with over 10 books. Uh, but those three, I think all combined have probably 40 books at this point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, it is a lot of relationships. It's also, you know, it's a word of mouth business. So when we perform for clients, they tell other cl- other potential speakers like, hey, I like my agent, right? And we try to be different. A lot of our clients have had representation before and they are a little surprised by the way we work because we're not telling them how it has to happen. We ask them how they'd like it to work. Um, we also, um, you know, we, we try to pursue people that we love, right? People that we want to work with, that we believe mm-hmm. in. Uh, it doesn't hurt that Gary is my partner as well as, you know, my biggest client. Um, he's obviously a prolific speaker and does a lot in this world. Um, but that just goes to show you, right? If he, you know, I take no credit for the work he's done, right? He has built his career from literally, you know, nothing, right? From a, a dorm room at Mount Ida, a college that no longer exists. And now is running, as you mentioned, at the, the Honey Empire, right? So <laughs> I take no credit for him building his career. Um, I've, I've maybe offered a little uh, 1% of help in terms of the speaking world. Um, and I think it's something where we've learned a lot. And one of the things that drew Gary and I closer together was kind of thinking differently about these deals, whether it was mm-hmm. what the monetary structure was, doing a multi uh, a multi event deal right just being a little bit more forward thinking and trying stuff didn't always work but we tried a lot of things if it failed we learned from it if it succeeded we learned from it and we improved on it and so those are things that i think other people look at and say i want i want that i want some idea of that and we've thankfully been able to replicate it to some extent um, it's something where we've only been in business two and a half years. Unfortunately, more than one of them was under a global <laughs> pandemic. So we haven't exactly been able to do it as we expected. Um, but it, again, at the same token, we've had clients who in the pandemic did three times as much business as the year before. Right now, those are exceptions. That's not the rule, but it just goes to show you what's possible. And I think, you know, other bureaus, we saw some speakers bureaus where we talked to them a month after, you know, a month into the pandemic and like mid to late April. And they're like, oh, we've already pivoted. We're, we're, a, uh, we're a podcast uh, agency now. I'm like, you're a podcast agency? Like you were a speaker's <laughs> bureau a month ago. How does that work? And so are you pivoting back? Like, you know, this world is, is cyclical and, and we see it as something where it's an opportunity for us. We learned a lot. We made plenty of mistakes. I, I'm the first to admit it. Um, but we had a lot of fun while we were doing it. Our clients... Uh, you know, seems seem to be happy. I think they, they'd all say there's varying degrees of success and failures from a pandemic and doing virtual events. Um, but the point is, we want to be there when the dust settles and we want to grow and be the best speakers bureau there is. And it's going to take time. We're not trying to do this in, in overnight. Um, you know, people always say Gary's an overnight success. I think, you know, he would tell you that the early days of the 2000s when he was making no money and recording on YouTube with no viewers wasn't an overnight success. It's taken a long time and we're taking that same approach. Um, but we're doing so with some theories that have been, you know, tested out there and, and, and so far have been pretty successful. There, there are really no overnight successes. It's just that it appears that way to people who didn't know about that person. They don't know all the hard That's work right. that went into it, that went into it ahead of time. So obviously I've heard Gary speak. I've had the pleasure. He's, whether you agree with what he's saying or not, he is an incredibly engaging and dynamic speaker. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, obviously that might be something that someone might aspire to right now. But what do you think makes a good speaker? Well, I think a lot of people see Gary and they want, like, I can do that. 
well, it's easier said than done, right? It's really tough to get on stage. First off, I'm blown away by the amount of people who a reach out to me and say, I want to be a speaker. Um, the, let alone the people who actually are out there speaking, because I think it was a Seinfeld bit where it was like speaking, public speaking is the number one, uh, you know, like a uh, fear of humans, right? It is. So how then are we all wanting to be public speakers? It's just a weird dynamic. So I don't know if it's a paradox or what, but I think that, you know, it's funny that, that, that so many people pr- want to pursue this world. And I think they see it as something that's probably not right. The biggest speakers in the world are on the road 150 days a year. Now, that could be fun for some people. If you have a family or if you don't like to fly or you don't want to spend time at, you know, hotel rooms in Peoria, Illinois, I'm sorry, my friends in Peoria, like you're, you're going to, it's not the most glamorous business if you want to be doing this professionally. So most people are, are doing something else and speaking, right. And that can mean a thousand different things. Um, but I think the best speakers all come with authenticity. They all have value that they're providing to the audience. Um, and they know how to deliver a message, right? They don't have to be a storyteller. Now it's probably the easiest way is being able to tell stories, but you have to be able to deliver value in a way that's compelling. Now it can be entertaining. It could be humorous. It could be sad, right? You know, sometimes I joke, the best speakers can make you laugh and cry within 45 minutes. Um, that's an awfully tough thing to do. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, but I think, you know, there are, there are a variety of different kinds of speakers. And one of the benefits these days is there's no singular way. and no singular path to success, right? There are amazing stories out there all over the place that aren't being told. Some of them deserve to be told. Some of them are stories that have been told before. And so we don't need someone on stage to tell them. And I think having self-awareness um, allows you to understand what's going to win. Um, but people also assume that, you know, if they have a message, they deserve to be on stages. People should be paying them tens of thousands of dollars. Like what is wrong with them? Why aren't they paying? It's hard, right? It's really hard. You got to put the time in and the best speakers will tell you they did, right? They spent time doing it for free. They spent time, you know, paying their dues, just like any other job. It is a job. It is a career. You have to build up your reps. You got to get better over time. And, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think the best ones would tell you they're still improving what they're doing. And you can't just memorize a speech and go up there and expect to be a winner, right? You got to figure out what you're saying, how you're going to say it, and then know how to kind of pivot, how to re- respond to the crowd, right? If you memorize your speech and then the crowd kind of is, is turning on you, uh, what are you going to do, right? You got to be ready for that stuff. And that takes time. It, it's not something you can practice. So the only practice is more speaking. So I always tell people, you want to get out there and be a speaker, just go speak. Find a crowd, right? Find someone who's sitting in a chair and just talk at them. Because if they're not going <laughs> to listen to you, if you can't get one person's attention, how are you going to get hundreds of people? And to start getting paid, you have to provide value. Why is somebody going to pay you to speak? Are you going to help get people to sit in seats, right? Butts in seats or eyeballs on TVs, isn't that what they always say? Right? If you're not going to be the person to help, then wh- why would they pay you? What value are you bringing them? And so I think people lose track of kind of where the real value is and what they can what they can bring. And people I also don't think know their own value, right? You oh, sometimes oh. have people who are, you know, uh, CEOs who have built a construction company and they're coming in and talk about their story about, you know, overcoming alcoholism. Now, that's a great story, but you've built a successful business and I'm sure you've learned something from that. So why wouldn't you go into some of the things that you've learned while you were building this multi-million dollar construction business, right? I think everyone has a story 
Um, it's not always interesting. Maybe it's good at a pasta <laughs> party, right? But if you find the little nuggets that are interesting, that are compelling, if you're able to pull that stuff out and distill it in a way that is informative and, and, and entertaining, then you can win. But it's much easier said than done. And I think people look and, and now because there's millions of videos on YouTube of people doing this, everyone is a TEDx talk. That doesn't mean everyone is a TED speaker, right? That's so right. there are so many opportunities now to get on stage. Go get on stage, but do something with it once you're on there. Well said. Well said. I don't think a lot of people realize that TEDx is not a TED speaker. Right. Um, it's it's. Um. I guess that would be classified as misinformation. I'm not exactly sure how we how we would put that. So you clearly have already told me you do not think this is this stuff is going away anytime soon. One other question I want to ask about the speaking thing is that it's kind of tied into what you were saying. Why are so? Why is it so hard for so many people? to do this? Why is it, what, where does that, that part about being terrified to be, to speak in front of it and someone who might have a great message? What do you think it is that terrifies people so much about actually speaking? Because I do think that speaking and presenting, forgetting about whether you're getting paid because you just packed an auditorium of 10,000 people, it's, it's a business skill, Mm -hmm. right? It's a business skill. I always tell my students, if you want to be successful in your career, you are going to have to learn how to present because that is all you're going to do. You're going to present internally, externally, up and down. That's that's kind of what your life is. But people are really reticent about it and uncomfortable with it. What do you think that 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 comes from? It's a great question. I haven't I haven't thought about that so specifically, but I, I do think that it really is a a matter of the audience and imparting information, right? I think I've actually heard from some clients who tell me it's easier to do a speech. Um, for free than it is to get paid because once you get paid there's an expectation right Um, mm -hmm. so if you're delivering a speech you know for free what's the worst that happens right if you if you're getting paid for it if they're paying for your travel they could cancel your ticket on the way home like they they can stop the check like there's so many things that could go horribly horribly wrong of course i would never let that happen for any of my clients um (laughs) that's what people hire you zach (laughs) that's what i'm here for um but i do think that uh I, I do think that there's something to the pressure of delivering, right? You have all of these high hopes. This is your opportunity. It's your Super Bowl. And you got to come out there and you got to deliver. And for a crowd of 400, you're the person holding them up from lunch, right? For that crowd, they you, you are the only thing stopping them from going to go have fun and mingle. So you have to keep their attention. And the hardest part for a speaker is making sure that time flies. You want people to say like, oh my God, it's been an hour. Like we don't get more of that. Now it's Mm. not an easy thing to do because you're saying a lot of words. I also think people lose track of time. You know, I've done a handful of best man speeches. I'm not a public speaker myself. I represent them. Uh, And I can tell you that when you get up, you practice, you practice. And then it's like, it's over in a heartbeat. You're like, Mm -hmm. I thought this was going to be 15 minutes and I'm here for 90 seconds because you get nervous. Your heart starts to race. You get on stage, the adrenaline is going and you're speaking fast. It's really a tough thing to do, um, and people people don't necessarily understand what's going to happen, right? I think they hope, they want, they have a particular idea in their head. You know, there's you know, what was the, the book, The Secret. You know, if you mm-hmm. envision it, it's going to happen. Well, sometimes it doesn't happen the way you envision it. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned one of my clients, Ryan Holiday. You know, he has this whole idea of negative thinking, not positive thinking. 
right? Worry about what are the horrible things that could go wrong? Then what would you do? Then if something goes wrong, you're prepared for it. Most people are only envisioning the perfect scenario. And so I think people are a little nervous once they get on stage and things can go wrong pretty fast. If you lose your place, if you memorize the speech, it's not something you internalize. Well, if you lose your place, you're, you're, you know, what are you, you going to do? Right. You have no choice. So I think it's, it's a really tough skill. Um, people do look at it as a skill, right? They can take public speaking classes. I remember taking, uh, was it Toastmasters, right? I remember uh-huh. taking that and I think it was sixth or seventh grade. It, it may have been in high school. I don't remember. And, you know, it, it's nothing like what the real world is like. It's nothing <laughs> like public speaking. And I think meetings are a great example of this. You could have to present to a group of four colleagues and you could be nervous. You could be shaking a little bit. You could know all the information. You built the PowerPoint. It's five minutes and you're going to be nervous. Imagine then doing that for thousands of people in an arena. So it's something that's really hard, but it is also a skill that I think a lot of people avoid. Um, I would say to your students, it's something where you should just be doing it, right? Volunteer every opportunity you get because it doesn't get easier. It gets harder, right? Mm -hmm. As you get older, the audiences become smarter, right? They have higher expectations. There's more judgment. There's more opportunity. Failure means more. So you have an opportunity as a young person to actually pursue it and improve um, that I think it's harder to do as you get older, not to say you can't, but I think that you have an opportunity where, uh, there's the downside is much smaller when you're younger versus getting up on stage after, you know, a 50 year career in, in, in politics and you're a horrible speaker. It's like, well, what were you expecting? Like, you know, you didn't prepare at all. So <laughs> I think it's something where people just need to kind of look at themselves. Um, and I think this is something honestly today people have been doing with virtual right? It's actually something you can record a speech yourself and then watch it yourself. Be like, would I watch this or would I turn Netflix on? Would I go see what my wife is doing in the other room um, or pick up a book or do God forbid the work you're supposed to do that day instead of the virtual meeting you're supposed to attend. So it's tough, but I think that everyone is capable of doing it. It just takes practice like anything else. Well said, well said. So I have a couple of more questions for mm-hmm. you. And one is completely away from this, but how have you personally managed aside from business in this last year and this during this, so, pan- I keep, I keep <laughs> wanting to say post pandemic, but We're I don't want to get ahead there. of myself just yet. We're not quite Optimistic, there. Unless you're planning on holding this podcast for a few weeks, hopefully weeks and not months. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so it's been a unique experience for me. Um, my firstborn daughter, my firstborn overall, my, my daughter was born on March 6th. So uh, oh we gosh. basically had five days before we went into full on quarantine. So we left the hospital early. They were like, you know, this pandemic thing doesn't seem to be going away. We think you should leave. She was a few weeks early. And thankfully, because if she was born on her due date, I wouldn't have been in the room. So, you know, it's been a unique experience for me. Um, My paternity leave was met with rescheduling hundreds of events. Uh, It wasn't exactly what I expected. But at the same token, I have missed, I think, two bedtimes. And I don't regret those two bedtimes. Uh, There were things that needed to happen. uh, But it was something where, you know, it's been a really special time. Uh, I think as many people are saying, like the commute isn't something they miss. And so it's extra time they get to work. Um, I don't even know if I own suits anymore. I'm assuming they're somewhere around the house. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been an interesting time. Um, it's also been something where, um, you know, it's really showed what's possible, right? I think as we were talking about earlier, you know, the earliest part of the pandemic with the events world, it was doom and gloom. No one was was thinking positive. No one thought we were going to survive this. We had no idea when it was going to end. Mm-hmm. Well, we still don't know necessarily when it's going to end. There's light at the tunnel, um, and we're all walking towards it. And I think that you know people are hopeful, people are optimistic, 
we are all relishing the time we're going to get that together. I was just in Central Park on Saturday or Sunday. It was gorgeous weather and everyone was out and about. And it's like, great. As soon as we can do this, like on a regular basis, we're going to be doing this on a regular basis. So we're all very excited for that. And, you know, I've managed, I've coped. I think we all want to get back together. And as soon as that's possible, we're going to be ready for it. Um, but at the same token, you know, this has been an interesting year. Um, I won't say a fun year. Um, but I would say it could have certainly been a lot worse when you look at, you know, everything else. I always say everything's relative. You know, if you're not kind of thinking about the worst case scenarios here, um, you know, it's hard to complain about any of this stuff. No, I agree. I agree. I, I count my blessings that, you know, that I have money to pay for my food and my and my rent. And okay. so many people have really, really suffered through this. And I can't even imagine, you know, my, my mom, she just passed this past year, but um, not because of COVID, but she was almost 98. She lived through the depression. And I thought she would get so crazy about what was going on. And I'd be like, well, mom, at least we have television. Because of course she wouldn't use Netflix, but, (laughs) um, but you know, the fact that we had technology to keep us connected made, made a a huge difference. Well, I have family out West, I'll say. And, you know, I, never zoomed with my brother living in San Francisco, right. And his two kids prior, or we would FaceTime maybe on a phone occasionally. Now we both have portals and we're doing it on our televisions and we're able to see the family. So like the opportunities that have presented themselves are so great. And I think Absolutely. we all have to look inside and say, great, what did we just learn? Let's make sure that moving forward, we remember these lessons. So I have one more question. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for anybody, not just a student, but anybody? Because I'm sure there's people that listen to this that I've been thinking, gee, I'd like to be one of those speakers. What do I, what should I do? I think you touched on a little bit before, but I'd like to hear a little summary before we close out. Yeah, I think, you know, it is something where um, we all talk on a daily basis, right? You and I are talking now, right? That doesn't mean either of us are necessarily qualified to be a speaker, right? Um you can go walk over to a piano and just play a few notes. You can go to the park and shoot a basketball. That doesn't mean you're prepared to be a professional. And I think that that's the piece that people miss, right? They forget that there is a gap between professional and amateur. And that's not a bad thing. There are amateur speakers who are speaking on a regular basis. There's value in speaking for your company at a conference at a trade show, right? But I think people who want to pursue this have to realize that there's a lot of time that goes into it. Um, put in the reps do the research. I had a client once who uh, I'll leave his name out of this. So I don't embarrass him, but he literally watched like hundreds of Ted talks, hundreds and had his notebook and he would open it up and he would look through and he's like, I saw this one. And this guy told a joke at this point and he was taking notes and he wanted to know what, what made them successful versus not. And I think that's someone who is a professional speaker. So mm-hmm. if that's what the professionals are doing and you want to break into this industry, what are you willing to do to be that good? And I think, you know, from an agent perspective, we get asked all the time about people who are not speakers, whether or not they can speak or, or, or will they give a speech? A lot of people don't want to give a speech, right? They're not prepared, right? A lot of people, whether it's a Hollywood celebrity, whether it's a CEO, an entrepreneur, maybe they aren't used to speaking for 45 minutes on stage because they have other obligations and they don't want to put the time in to write a speech or prepare something. You know, there's now opportunities to do things as, you know, interview formats or fireside chats as they're referred to. Right. I think people look at that and say, well, then I can do that. But the reality is it's because giving a speech is hard. Mm-hmm. People really just aren't aware of how difficult it really can be. Um, but I also, at the same time, I don't begrudge anyone who wants to pursue it. 
do whatever you want to do. Pursue it as, as much might and will um, and, and effort as you possibly can because it's going to take it all. And there's so much competition out there that unless you're willing to put in time, you're probably not going to succeed. And even if you put in the time, you still may not succeed. And that's not a bad thing because you now have this skill. So if you can't pursue it on stage, well, now you can go to your company and say, send me out on the road. I want to be a salesperson, right? I want to go to that trade show and stand at the booth, right? You'll be able to take that skill and take it places. And uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's something you'll never forget. And if you enjoy it, then enjoy it. Zach, where can people find you or find more out about Vayner Speakers? Yeah, it's, so it's I'm Zach Nadler on pretty much every platform. Uh, and we're at Vayner Speakers on every platform. Please check us out. Don't hesitate to shoot me an email or call me. I'm sure we'll we'll have plenty of people who want to be speakers off of this. So if you're gonna if you're gonna reach out, send me your reel. But uh, I'm more than happy to take a look. And and thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.